Well, good morning, church. My name's James. If we have not met, I serve as the student pastor here for Ignite, 6th through 12th grade students. And we are closing out this morning our Story of Scripture series. Have you guys enjoyed this series? I really have. It's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. I think sometimes we can get into Scripture, and, and I love to teach Scripture verse by verse and uh, topic by topic, but I think sometimes, if we're being honest, we can get into uh, parts of the Bible and feel a little bit lost, right? Have you been there? I've been there. And what I love about the story of Scripture is that we're kind of getting that up above 30,000-foot view of the story that God is weaving together all throughout human history, and we can see it all from start to finish. And uh, I know that I've been, at times, I've been in the Old Testament, and I'm reading in uh, Leviticus, and I'm thinking, why can people not wear two fabrics, you know, woven together? Why can a, a young goat not be boiled in its mother's blood? Uh, I'm in the middle of Jeremiah, and I'm thinking, this is intense, these prophecies and what I'm seeing and what I'm reading. And if, if we lose perspective on that the Bible is about a holy God who is making a people holy through covenantal pursuit of them in the Son, in his son, Jesus Christ, even sacrificing his son for us so that we could be in relationship with him. That is why we gather and we, we consume and we take in the full story of scripture so that we can see it all from start to finish. And so here we go, epic finale, revelation. If you have a Bible with you, hold it up. You got it with you this morning? Oh, we're gonna give it a workout this morning. We're gonna give it a workout. Yes, we love the Bible here. We teach the Bible. We believe the Bible here at Mount Hope. And so you can go ahead and find that last book of the Bible, Revelation. And honestly, when I first kind of undertook this message this morning, I will be honest, it felt like I was digging a tunnel with a spoon. It just felt like a project that I thought, how in the world in just a few short moments do I convey what this highly debated book uh, of, of God's word has to say? And so this morning, what I'm going to seek to do, and my goal for us this morning as we open the word, is to develop a framework for us to think through the book of Revelation, to not necessarily get into every nitty gritty detail of it, but to give us a framework of how we can understand this uh, book of the Bible, this close to the story of scripture. And as I started putting it together, I began where every uh, Bible scholar uh, begins. Yeah, Google, I Googled uh, <laughs> theories Theories on the book of Revelation, just because I wanted to see what was out there. There's some crazy stuff out there, y'all. And uh, there was some interesting interpretations that Judas Iscariot as the Antichrist, um, the Pope as the Antichrist. Page four of Google told me that Taylor Swift might be the Antichrist. <laughs> 250 million uh, Instagram followers, you never know, you never know. You never go to page four of Google, by the way. Uh, nothing, nothing good on there. Uh, but as we get to this last kind of prophetic apocalyptic literature, uh, 
I want to look at a framework of how we can understand this and study it as a church, as the people of God, as we come to it. And so, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, as I start, I just, I just want to pray as we look and see how John starts this book of Revelation. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you, creator of the heavens and earth, author of the word the perfect word that is in front of us this morning. We thank you for bringing us this far. Thank you for the understanding that you've given us. I pray that as we dig into your word, that you might give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, that you might give us uh, enlightenment in our hearts, in our minds to understand why it is these things are in the text of scripture so that we might know you more and know you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is how the book of Revelation starts. Let's just see how John starts it off. 1 verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Right off the bat, John is telling us that this whole book is about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is all over this book. When we think of apocalyptic literature, we, if we look up apocalypse in the English uh, or American dictionary, we think of total destruction, right? That's what we think, apocalypse, total destruction. The Greek word apocalypsis Actually, uh, which is used 18 times in the New Testament, it means to disclose or to reveal. To disclose or to reveal. What is John revealing? He is revealing Jesus Christ to us. He's telling us, hey, check it out. This whole book is going to be about Jesus. It's full of Jesus. And it is from start to finish. You then see things that will soon take place. And if you're like me when I first started to look at this, I thought... Things that will soon take place. Like, can we get going here? It's been 2,000 years since this was written. The Greek word that's being used here is en takai. It is the Greek word from which we get the English word tachometer, which measures velocity. And so what it is saying here is that the events, it might take a while for them to happen. But once we get there, it's going to ramp up quick. En takai, things which will soon take place. This book is written A.D. 90 to 95 by the Apostle John, who's the only apostle to not be put to death. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. It's 25 miles off of the coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, former Asia Minor. And he is writing to give us a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 is the only book of the Bible where this promise is made. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed. Blessed are you who hear these words. If you are familiar with the book of Revelation, you might be thinking, James, I know what happens. Like you get into chapter six, seven, eight, it gets dark quick. There is blood and there is the moon and the sun ceasing to shine. And there is all kinds of devastation that happens. Where is the blessing in that, that John points to in verse three? And I would tell you, keep reading, keep reading. 
we get to the end of the book and we find out where the blessing of Revelation comes and it's in Jesus Christ returning. And so what I want to uh, do this morning in my first point is simply say this, Revelation can be understood and it is useful for today. Revelation can be understood and it is useful for us today. Some have said this book is not meant to be understood, but the name gives it away. It is the book of Revelation. God is trying to reveal something to us. It is useful for us to study and to learn today as the people of God to find out what he is saying to us. And I am so glad, I, I, I spend a lot of time when I put together messages trying to get my outline right. And I'm so glad that John in chapter one, verse 19 is like, hey James, here you go, got an outline for you. He gives the outline of Revelation in verse 19. This is what the apostle John says. Jesus is telling him, right therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Write the things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. This is how the book of Revelation will open up to us as we read it. John first writes about the things that he sees. What is this? This is the glorified Jesus being revealed. See, John had seen Jesus face to face, right? In his earthly ministry. He had walked with him. He had seen him face to face. John was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah when, when Jesus was transfigured and the glory was shown. John was even with Jesus after he was resurrected and saw him ascend into heaven, but John's never seen a Jesus like chapter one, the glorified Jesus, the things that he sees. And then he writes about the things that are or were in his time. And this are, these are the seven churches to which he is writing in chapter two and three. John writes to seven churches in Asia Minor depicted as seven lampstands. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fitting that the church is depicted as a lampstand, the light of the world? That even to be a little bit more specific that you and I are called to be lights in the darkness? And we are supposed to be telling and heralding the claim of how to escape from the coming darkness. How do we do it? We know how we do it, church. We follow Jesus. We give our lives to Jesus. We put our hope and our trust in Jesus. And we are to be lights that tell others to do the same. And so John writes of the things that he sees, those being the churches. I just want to touch on this briefly because I think this is a, a sobering exhortation that John gives to real churches that existed. And I'll just give you uh, two. In verse 8 of chapter 2 to the church in Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that you, they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. 
Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is touched on towards the end of the book of Revelation. The the writings to the churches, the reason that they are there, and we're going to get into this in a moment, but it's to encourage hope and faithfulness in the midst of persecution. The, the, the Christians of that time are facing heavy, heavy persecution. And John, as he says to the church in Smyrna, be faithful, hold on, though the persecution is at hand, there is something greater coming. And he's encouraging them to hold on. This is, this is to the church in Laodicea in verse 14 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Harsh words. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with the father on his throne. And then he ends it very familiar. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are real churches. This is a real message to the church. And I couldn't help but as I read through these and think, I think, what would a letter to Mount Hope look like? May we be found faithful in what God has called us to do. As, as I'm here and, and getting past chapter four, you might be thinking, all right, James, you got to pick it up. The, you got to pick up the pace here. We're in chapter four. How are you getting through chapter 22 by the end of this? As I said, I, my, my goal and my desire really is to give a framework. And so you can throw that graph up on the screen. I think this just helps us understand the breakdown of what's happening in the book of Revelation. As we said, the things that we see or the things that John sees the revelation of the glorified Jesus. You have in chapter two and three, letters to the seven churches. You have in chapters four and five, Jesus worshiped as the lamb by all of heaven joining in worship. Starting in chapter six, you have series of judgments, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. There's lots of symbolism and signs in the book of Revelation. You have in chapter 19, Jesus returning as the conquering king of kings. Chapter 20, Jesus is ruling over the newly revised millennial creation. And in chapter 21 and 22, you have the eternal estate, the new heaven and new earth. This is how the the story of the book kind of breaks down. In the middle of that, we have the Antichrist 
who is raised up. The, the scriptures call him the beast. It is a leader who is promising peace and leading people astray. He's called the man of lawlessness by Paul, the man of perdition. Daniel calls him the little horn. There are over 50, almost 50 names for the Antichrist uh, in the Bible. And so as we come to this point, you might be thinking, all right, a lot for me to take in. What I want to do is give you some principles for how we can think through the book of Revelation. Give us that framework of how we can think through it. And I want to do it in do's and in don'ts. And the first one's a don't. Don't interpret the book of Revelation in isolation. This is the first one that we must get right. You're saying, okay, how do I understand this? How do I take this all in? We cannot take Revelation from the rest of the Bible and try to interpret it without viewing all of Scripture. Why? As I already said, Revelation is a book of signs and symbolisms, and I believe that that's for a few reasons. Number one, symbolism is something that translates and transcends culture, language, Language is changing all the time, isn't it? I, I, I do student ministry. I know this more than anyone. Maybe you try to listen to a conversation with Gen Z. I get a text. I don't know how to respond. I don't, uh, the words, the, the phrases, the, the letters, I don't know what any of this means. Language is always changing, and so signs and symbols are a way to, to transcend language and culture. It also brings a deep emotional impact as we read it, right? It's one thing to read about uh, a man who leads others away. It's another thing to be referred to as the beast, right? It, it, it gives you an emotional impact as you read the symbolism that is all throughout the book of Revelation. And on the outside looking in, it can seem confusing unless you're really read up on your Old Testament. This is why we can't take it in isolation. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 360 of them contain Old Testament language. 360 of them. And so to a first century Jewish audience who would be receiving this and reading this, they would know, okay, that ties back to the temple. This ties back to the prophecy in Daniel. This ties back to Zechariah. And, and they know where the tie, the tiebacks are. For us, for a 2023 uh, Christians living in a more Gentile region, it takes a little bit more work for us to dig in and understand, okay, what's being said here, but we cannot take it in isolation. We must take it within the context of the story of Scripture. So I love this story of Scripture series because without it, we cannot understand just in isolation what might be happening here. Jesus speaks about it in the New Testament. If, if you're taking notes, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, it's called the Olivet Discourse. And so we can't simply pull one book out of an entire book of God's word and expect it to make sense without interpreting scripture with scripture to give us the whole view of scripture. So don't isolate revelation. Don't, don't interpret it in isolation. Second one is a do. Do hold on with humility. Do hold on to, to what you believe, what you see with humility. If I'm honest, there are places in Revelation that I find to be very clear. Since I read it, makes sense, I understand it. See that in the beginning. I see Jesus revealed. I see uh, the letter to the churches. They go, okay, I get that. There are places that are not so clear. 
right? There are topics that come up like the 24 elders talked about in chapter 5. Who are they? Are they, uh, are they uh, those who have passed on from the church who are now, you know, in glory? Some would say they are 12 angels with the 12 apostles. There's different interpretations of that. My, uh, my best interpretation uh, would be that they represent the raptured church, but some would argue that. Who are the two witnesses talked about? Some would speculate it's Moses and uh, Elijah. I talked to someone in the first service who said Moses, uh, Enoch and Elijah, because they, neither of them ever died. God took them up. And so those are the two witnesses. There's, there's debated parts of Revelation. Is the rapture of the saints pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Anyone got a guess? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. And then he ends it with saying, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. He does not end by saying, and argue about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. He says, no, I'm putting uh, my description of the way things will end so that you can be encouraged. That's what it's supposed to point towards. The, the word rapture is not mentioned in the scripture, but as we look at where the saints being taken up, that is supposed to point us to a greater reality of hope and to be encouraged that this world is not our home. And one day we will go to be with Jesus. And so we hold on to our beliefs with humility. I grew up in a church context uh, that taught the book of Revelation as being fully historic, that it was a look at 70 AD and that all had already been fulfilled, that there was nothing that we were looking towards as far as a tribulation. Uh, as I grow in a more literal interpretation uh, of the book of Re Revelation, I see that this is a book of prophecy that points towards the future. And these are things that we have to, to look forward to and a hope that we have firm in a God who's in control. But those people in the church that I grew up with, can I tell you something? They love Jesus. They love Jesus. And they loved his word. And they loved the people of God and read the same exact Bible I did and came to different interpretations of the book of Revelation. And so the way that I've always described this, and it's been helpful for me to think about, is open hand and closed, open hand and closed handed issues. Pastor Rick talked about it last week with the core issues, right? We have our open, we have our closed-handed issues. This is, uh, this is Jesus incarnate. This is the Bible's inerrancy. This is faith and trust in Jesus alone. This is that Jesus is coming back again. That Jesus is the one who forgives sins. The, the, the closed-handed issues of the Bible that are not up for interpretation. And then there's other areas of scripture that we hold with an open hand. And we hold with humility. And God blesses the searching out of the scriptures. He says, if you seek, you will find. 
And so I would encourage that as we come to the word of God in issues like this, we search out what the Bible says so that we might understand what God is saying to us here and now in 2023. Because when we need to have all the answers before we trust God with the future, what we end up doing is have, having a God of control instead of trusting a God who is in control of all things. And we say, God, I trust you with the future. And so don't interpret revelation in isolation. Do hold on to it with humility. And lastly, do let it inspire hope and faithfulness. Let the book of Revelation inspire hope and faithfulness. Why do I say that? Billy Graham, when he was asked if he was an optimist or a pessimist, he said, I'm an optimist. I've read the end of the book. I've read the end of the book. One of the main themes and reasons I touched on it earlier for the writing of the book of Revelation is to encourage the believers at that time to hold on, to be faithful in the midst of persecution, in the midst of impossible circumstances. John's saying, hold on and be faithful even in the here and now. And I believe that that message is for us today. It's the same. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he calls us citizens of heaven. And I wanna, I wanna look at this momentarily. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here's the hope. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Saints, this is great news. This is really good news. This inspires hope and faithfulness as we look and we see the end of the story and we see how God has unfolded human history. We learn that he's coming again and our citizenship is not here, but we are citizens of a greater place. This is how Revelation 21, one through five says it. And I love this. As we think about the pain and the brokenness of this life, this is how Revelation 21 describes it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. Jesus is coming again to make all things new. This is the truth of the story of Scripture. Jesus said, if I, if I go, I will come again. This is what he said to his disciples. Next to the subject of faith in the Bible, the second coming of Christ is treated more than any other subject in Scripture. Isn't that cool? 1,844 times it's predicted in Scripture. That's a lot. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament tells us of the second coming. For every one time the first coming of Christ is mentioned, there are eight times that the second coming is mentioned. Jesus is coming again, and it is much different than the first time he came. He came as a baby. He came as the suffering servant, we're told in the Old Testament. And we learn as we keep reading in the story of Scripture that Revelation 19 would say he's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is coming back with fire. He is coming back riding on a horse. On his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is what Mark 13 tells us when it comes to getting ready for that day. Verse 32, I'll just read it to you. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home, puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, and what I say to you all, I say to all, stay awake. This kind of knocks down all the books that have been written on Revelation that say 1986, it's happening then. There's been thousands of predictions of when Jesus will come back, right? We were ready for Y2K and the computers to not be able to count to the year 2000. <laughs> There's been thousands of instances throughout over, over a short period of time where people say he's coming back then. He says, nobody knows, but be ready. Be awake. Stay awake. He is coming back. So are you on Team Jesus? Are you on Team Jesus? Because if, if you are, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Because in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. We've read the end of the book. We know how it ends. And so, yes, he's coming as a judge. He's coming uh, on the, the horse, but you know the judge, and he knows you. If you're on Team Jesus, you are his, and so there is nothing to fear, but he's coming back. And so I'd ask you, are you ready? The king is coming. Are you ready? He's coming again. I love how the book of Revelation concludes in chapter 21 and going into chapter 22. I want to read a few verses. I said we were going to get a workout this morning with the Bible. So read with me. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut day by day, and for there will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter in for anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is why we say, are you ready? Is your name there? And then the epic story of scripture conclusion in chapter 22, the Bible has come full circle. We started in a garden, we are about to end in a garden. We started uh, with the tree of life that we were banished from due to sin. A way to the tree of life has been opened back up. This is how Revelation 22 uh, tells it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see him face to face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It started in a garden, it ends in the garden. It's the full circle of the story of scripture. The tree of life is there. There was death and sorrow in the garden in Genesis. There is every tear being wiped away and every care being taken care of by our heavenly father, who we will spend eternity with. All of human history hinges and points to this reality. This is where we look. And I love that the book of Revelation closes with an invitation. This is what chapter 22, verse 17, the close of the book. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price the water of life that you may never thirst again. I love that it's not an order. I love that it's not a command, but it's an invitation. Come, come. Are you here this morning and you have been looking for everything and in every way and in every place to satisfy the longing of your heart? Have you looked in relationships? Have you looked in money and success and all the things that we're told that bring satisfaction in the here and now? Have you looked in all those places and come up empty and you still find your heart wanting? You still find yourself searching. Jesus says to you this morning, come. 
Do you know why you feel that way still? It's because you were designed to know and to worship God who wrote the whole story. You were designed to worship God. And Jesus says, come not because of your work, not because of what you've done or that you deserve it. We're actually told we don't deserve it. But the good news of the gospel is come anyway, because Jesus has paid the price and Jesus has made the way. And so I'll be honest, church, we look around, things don't look that great, right? <laughs> things do not look great. If you're checking the news headlines, if our, if our understanding of the end times is built off of the headlines of the news, man, it looks like it could be any day, right? Things don't look good. It doesn't look like there's hope on the horizon. But I believe what I'm here to remind us of this morning is that there is hope and his name is Jesus. And he's coming again. He is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords. And until he comes, we look forward to that day, but until he comes, we worship. That's what we do. We worship the King. And that's how I thought it would be a fitting way to end this story of scripture series. Because as I read this, as I study this, and as I look into the word of God, at a complex book, really the, the couple things that were ringing out in my mind all week were Jesus wins. Talk about a, an easy way to like, kind of a simple way to encapsulate all that's here in 22 chapters. But I just kept thinking over and over and over again, Jesus wins. And then I was left in worship. I thought the only way we close a series like this is we worship because it's the only way we can see the God who wrote the story of scripture. And that's the only right response to a holy God. He invites us to come this morning. He invites us to come and see. And so I pray that as we close out this series, as we close out this service in worship, man, I pray your eyes are lifted towards Jesus, that your eyes are lifted towards the reality of eternity that you are taken off the momentary pains in the trials of this life that are many, but our eyes are set and fixed on Jesus, where our hope comes from. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand. We only sang a few songs at the beginning of service so that we could sing a few songs at the end of service because we're gonna worship. We're gonna ask the question, is he worthy? And the answer is he is, church. He is, he's worthy. I wanna invite you that if, if this is a time where maybe as, as you're seeing that story of scripture, there's a need in your life right now and you need to just come before the Lord. You can do that in your seat. You don't need to come forward. But I wanna invite you that this area is open for you to come forward and to worship God. If you have a need this morning, take it to God. If you have worship this morning, give it to God. He's worthy of it. Come to these altars, come to this area and worship, and worship and pray. We have leaders who would love to pray with you and for you as we close this series in worship. And so I wanna pray and then we're gonna sing. We're gonna lift our voices and we're gonna join with the chorus of heaven singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and is to come. Would you bow your head and pray with me? God Almighty, 
we stand before you. Only because of the blood of Jesus that covers us can we stand in your presence. You have made everything that we see, everything that we know. Your word says it's just by you speaking the word and things come into existence. God, give us a glimpse of your glory this morning. Lord, help us to see you in a greater way. Open our eyes to the greatness of your majesty that we may live lives that are not self-centered, that our eyes would not be on ourselves, but they would be on you. They would be on you and your love for us, your care for us. God, we worship you this morning. The God of the story of scripture, who has written it all, who has known the end from the beginning, the alpha, the omega. We worship you this morning, God. We praise you for all that you are and all that you will continue to do. It's in the name of Jesus that we give you this praise and we give you this glory. Amen. Let's sing together.